Good evening. If you've got a Bible, you can open it to John chapter 13. We're going to look at verse 33 through 14, 11. It'll be a rather lengthy passage. Just bear with me. I'll read it in just a second. Um, I will let you, so I, in case this is, you're the type of person that likes everything in an orderly, perfect, precise fashion. I did make a mistake in the program. There's a little typo there. Okay, so now that that's been named, maybe that red alarm will stop going off in your brain and we can move on. Um, so we, we're starting a new series on Advent. This is the Sunday of Advent. Um, so we're taking a break from the things that we have been studying. And Advent is the day in the life of the church where we have traditionally celebrated what we call the Incarnation. And that is when... God himself, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, came down and did dwell among us, and he took on flesh, becoming fully man. He wasn't just a God animating a human body, but that he actually, while being 100% God, he became 100% human being and lived the exact same experience and reality that we experience and live every single day. But just like any other historical event that we celebrate, like it's a great person's anniversary or, or birthday or an anniversary or something, then we, we need the events to be interpreted so we know what we're celebrating. You know? and so what we're doing here with these John I Am sayings is that Jesus actually is going to help us and he tells us who he is and what he came to do. So that we, in knowing that, who he is and what he came to do, that we can celebrate uh, his coming to us in the way that would be most appropriate. So that's what we're doing. Um, I'm, I'll read this passage. I do want to give you a, pre, a very short overview of what to pay attention to because it's a little bit long. This John is a very confusing writer. I'll just say up front, he's very meandering. He goes in one thing and I have another thing. It can be very confusing. But what I want us to pay attention to before I read this is... There are three characters in here, Peter and Thomas and Philip, who are going to respond to Jesus when he gives them instructions. And what we're going to do is use these guys and their response to Jesus as kind of the roadmap, how we're going to make our way through the passage. So as I read, then you can be especially in tune to, um, to these three guys and what they say and how Jesus responds to them. So let's go to God's Word together. John 13, verse 33 through fourteen eleven. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. But Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. But let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, 
that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. But Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? But Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. For now on, you do know him and have seen him. But Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. But Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this passage, we're going to particularly zoom in on the phrase, I am the way, the truth, and the life this evening, but it fits in the middle of the whole context of this whole passage. And I think what this passage does, we read it, it kind of invites us to ask a question about ourselves, or confronts us with a question, and that's this. How do you handle the stress of following someone else's plans when those plans don't make sense to you? Have you ever been in that kind of situation? You've had to follow someone else's direction or their instructions or their plan, and it makes absolutely no sense to you, but you've got to do it anyways. I mean, that's not a comfortable situation, and it can be rather stressful. I'll put it in a real-life situation. I know this has all happened to you. You've been in a, on a car trip with a group of people, and you've gotten lost, and it's obvious that the driver is going around in circles and is not going to get you where you need to go. I think what we've all been in that situation once or twice. You know, you know you've passed that tree three times already. Your GPS says you're in the middle of a cornfield, and you know you're actually in the middle of the road at an intersection, so that's no help. And you've got to figure out where to go. And the more you go around in circles the harder it is to trust this person who's driving. And we all, depending on our personalities, we tend to handle the situation in different ways. Some of us are the take-action type. We're the type in the middle of that stress. In order to handle it, we want to say, okay, out of the driver's seat, sit in the back, I'm driving, I have no idea where we're going, but I'm going to get us there. So no more opinions. You know, I'm going to be in charge. I'm going to make it happen. Others of us are a little bit less like this. Others of us are the type that rather than take charge, we want more information. And we're the type that we want to see the map. We want to get the map and we want to figure it out for ourselves so we can figure out where we've been and where we went wrong and where we're going to go. And that we feel like in order to most efficiently and successfully get where we're going, we need to gather more information about where we are. Um, some of us are like neither of those. Others of us, we're the type that want to pull over and ask somebody on the side of the road. We need that real human-to-human interaction or experience. That if we can stop and we can look at somebody in the face and they tell us where we are and where we're going, somebody who's local and they really know, then we will really feel reassured and secure that we're actually going to get uh, where we need to go. Uh, we, I mean, we, all, we might do all these things. We at least know people who pretty much fit these uh, ways of handling that stress. 
It's with all of us. It's really easy to follow someone else's plans when they do make sense to us, and we're pretty sure it's going to get us what we want. But the more and more that plan tends to not make sense, and the end seems a little bit in jeopardy, the more and more we revert back to our own pet ways of navigating through life, often the ways we're good at to our best capabilities, because we feel safer and more secure when that happens. And when we come here to this passage, we see Jesus and his disciples. This is a confusing moment in their um, period of following Jesus. Because we're in what we call, it's called the farewell discourse, which is John, goes from John chapter 14 through 17. These disciples who have been with Jesus all along, all of a sudden they're at this point where Jesus says, he sends Judas away to go betray him. He says, now the Son of Man has been glorified, so Jesus' fate is sealed His end is sealed for good. No turning back. And then he's like, okay, uh, I'm leaving. So here's some instructions for you guys so you know how to handle yourselves when I'm gone. And not to mention that, but if you see in the first section here in verse 33 to 35, not only does he say that he's leaving, but the instructions he gives are to love one another. And I don't know if that struck any of you as odd. I kind of would have expected traveling instructions here. Like, you know, turn right here, turn left, here's how you're going to get there. You know, go to this secret room, talk to this guy under the palace in Rome, and you'll find the weapons and, you know, whatever. It's none of this kind of instruction. It almost seems irrelevant to the situation. Like, well, how are we going to just love one another, and then how are we going to get anywhere of that? So what the disciples are doing here, I think, is they are grappling with this kind of stress of when the plans are getting confusing... And they know, know what to do, and so they're reverting back to their own familiar ways of navigating through life, just like us. So what I want us to do is, we're going to do, do two things here. First, I want to walk through all of their responses, and we're going to ask this question. What do we need to trust somebody else's plans when they don't make sense? First, we're going to look at the disciples, these three disciples, and what they think they need in order to trust Jesus and his way of doing things. And then we're going to look at what God actually provides us that we can trust him in following him and his plan, okay? So just two big points. It might be a little bit of a meandering journey as this chapter goes, but that's what we're going to do. So Peter's first. When you come out to verse 36... Now, Peter is confused with Jesus' instructions, and he asked Jesus when he said he's leaving, he says, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you can't follow me now, but you will follow me afterwards. But Peter said, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And we recognize, knowing the end of the story, this is a very ironic statement that Peter makes, and we'll look at unpack that a little bit later on, but what I, what I want you to notice first here is that look at all these nows. Like Jesus reassures Peter he's going to get what he wants, but he's saying that it can't be right now, you're going to have to wait, and you're going to have to leave it in, in Jesus' hands outside of your own hands. And Peter doesn't like this. He wants to be involved now. He wants to be with Jesus all the way until the end. I think what we see here is what, what Peter thinks he needs in order to trust Jesus' plan, when it's confusing, is he needs influence on the outcome. He needs a say, and he needs a part to play in this plan 
Otherwise, he feels very uncomfortable. And I think a lot of, we can really resonate with this. I mean, a lot of us are like this. We're the action types. We're the type that likes to be involved. We're often very committed and capable people. And life tends to work best for us whenever we take the stress or the situation by the horns and we get involved and we say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to handle this situation. Um, That's kind of like Peter. And we have to admire his commitment here. I mean, I don't know that I would say, you know, I'll follow you into death for one thing. I mean, I would hope so, but, you know, who can say that? Peter's the guy who walked on the water. Peter's the guy who chopped the ear off of a Roman centurion when he had no chance of winning that battle at all. I mean, he is an incredibly committed guy. And exerting his influence works for him. But does it? Now, this is an, this is an ironic and ominous statement that Peter makes, that he is going to lay down his life for Jesus He's confused, he exerts his influence, and this is how we're going to get the job done. But that's not how the story is going to go. And essentially, Jesus says no to Peter, and that's not what you're going to do. Because all of us, there are so many situations in life, if we're honest, where God's way of doing things and his plan does, does not make sense. I mean, there, it is no clear roadmap. We get curveballs, and it just does not make sense at all. Um, And just a few examples, I think that, especially when we're waiting on God to work in a situation we really need Him to work in and He doesn't, that's confusing. And it's stressful. Like, you know, what do you do? And those of us that are these action types, we like, we think we need influence on the situation. We'll trust God for a little bit. But the more He doesn't act, and the more time goes on, He doesn't act in us or a family member or a church or whatever it may be in the way we think, then the more we start to pull back and say, okay, so the waiting has gone long enough. What we need here is my influence and assertion of that influence on the situation. Otherwise, I don't think I'm going to get what we need. But with Peter, and Jesus shows Peter here, is there's not a good end to that road. And that Peter is all brave whenever Jesus is with him, but as soon as the, ter- as soon as the situation changes and, Peter- and Jesus is led off to death, then all of a sudden Peter's courage is gone. The most courageous can't even do the physical part of sticking with Jesus to death, much less repair the relationship between God and man that was uh, forged in the beginning when man rebelled against God's dominion. So influence will only get us so far. What else? Let's move on. So if Jesus says no to influence, the influence is not what I'm going to give you in order for you to trust my plan. What else? And we look at Thomas. Let's see, where's Thomas? We pick up with him down, this is in verse 5, I think that that is, yeah, verse 5, where you see him. So Jesus gives some instruction, and then Thomas says to Jesus, But Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And this is where Jesus says the famous statement, I am the way and the truth and the life. But So what Thomas needs is not influence. What Thomas needs is more information. He needs knowledge. That if I'm to follow this plan, when it's confusing, I'm going to need more information. So I know what's going to happen. I'm going to need to know where you're going. 
I'm going to need to know what we're supposed to do. I'm going to need to know how this is, you know, going to go down. And I think this is very understandable again. And many of us, this is our natural reaction because it works for us. You know, many in this room, we are smart individuals who like to read, like to research. We like to gather information. We like to plot the course. We like everything ordered and known with no surprises. But this works for us to a degree, but I think that Jesus says no to this too. He gives them a different answer, and we're going to look at this in the second point. But I want us to notice in the beginning that Jesus says, this is not what I'm going to give you. And this is, this is rather stressful. I mean, we all have to make decisions every day that we have no idea what the outcome is going to be. We've got to decide where to live. We've got to decide, you know, who to marry. Should I marry? What school to put your kids in? Should I invest in this? Should I start this venture or should I not? I mean, there are so many decisions that we have to make that we want a good outcome from. But in reality, we have no idea what no amount of information and is annoying is able to solve this problem for us. We just don't know what's going to happen. I think we're often like, just to use a metaphor, if you're stuck out in the middle of the ocean in a tiny little rowboat and you're lost, you know, the ship has crashed and you're rowing away, you got to steer the boat in some way, in some direction, because if you don't steer it, you're guaranteed to get nowhere. But you're just a little speck. I mean, all the waves are bigger than you are. You know, you have any storm can come up at any moment. This is just the way that life is. Like knowledge works to a degree, but it can't solve all the issues. Again, just even the physical aspects of life, much less get us to where Jesus is. So Jesus says no to this too. Well, what else after that? There's one more. So we get to Philip. Philip is the third one. And after all of this, Jesus says no to both Thomas and to Peter. He says, I'm not going to give you the influence that you, know, you think you need, and I'm not going to give you knowledge fully in the way that you want it. And so P- Philip tries one more time, and he says this. Uh, look in chapter 14, verse 8. Philip says to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough. Now, what's he asking for there? I think what Philip wants is he wants an experience with the Lord that in the absence of the influence and the knowledge, that if that experience is strong enough, that he'll be able to keep the dream alive, as we say. That he will have a memory, something tangible to hang on to that can get him through the confusing times. Have you ever thought that? I mean, I've thought that thought so many times. If I could just, if the Lord would just show up in a tangible way and do something in my life so that I can see it, then I will probably be able to trust better next time. You know, I have something to think back on, some kind of experience that's reassuring. That's all I need, even just a little taste, and it would be enough. But Jesus says no to this too. And he gives maybe one of the more confusing answers of all of these. To Philip, he says, all of this, I am in the Father and Father is in me. In a sense, I've been with you all along. And again, we'll pack that in a second, the second point too. But I want us just, all three of these things to kind of soak in and notice 
that with all of these things, with the influence, with the knowledge, and with the experience, Jesus says, I'm not going to give you what you want in the way that you want it. And so where does that leave us? Especially when God's plan doesn't make sense. I mean, what, what is, how do we trust in God's plan when it doesn't make sense? And when you're alone, when you're angry, and you're stressed and confused, how do we do it? So this brings us to the second point. That just kind of illustrates, sets the stage for us, this first point of what we think we need in influence and knowledge and experience. Let's look at the second point. What, so what does God give us? If God doesn't let us have these things, what does he actually give us? And there's one thing essentially I want you to notice, and you can remember this phrase, and I'll try to remember it. In Jesus, we seldom ever get what we want in the way we want it. But we always get more than we can possibly imagine. I'll say it again. In Jesus, we seldom ever get what we want, but we always get more than we can possibly imagine. And it often doesn't make sense, but that doesn't make it any less real. Let's look at this. First of all, with Peter, and I want you to notice, he kind of gives the same answer every time, and we'll come through this after we walk through these. With Peter, he says, So Peter, if I let you have your influence... As we saw, there's not a really good end to this road. That just given the right circumstances, that you are more likely to do far more harm than you are good. Where Jesus actually tells people what's gonna, Peter what's going to happen. He says, you will deny me three times is what's going to happen. But look at what Jesus says next. Like the very next thing in verse 14, or this is verse 1 of chapter 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. And believe also in me. So he says this to all of the disciples who are standing there because they are all waiting the same fate. But he's also saying this to Peter. I mean, how would you feel if you denied Jesus three times you know, to, when he's right there? Is that a time when you would feel like you want to go up and be next to him and close and all buddy-buddy? You know, I don't think so. I think the shame of that would be just incredibly weighty. Like, to the point of break. But Jesus says this. He foreshadows what he's going to do. He says, Peter, I know what you're going to do. But let not your heart be troubled. Believe in me. Believe in the Father. Believe also in me. And I want you to catch the irony of this. So Peter wants to use his influence because he doesn't trust what Jesus is going to do. He doesn't trust the plan because it's confusing. But what Jesus does is, first of all, I'm going to take care of this way more competently than you can even possibly imagine. First of all, Jesus succeeds. Even while he was alone through all of the trial, he makes it all the way, and he actually does succeed in laying down his life and following the Father's plans obediently. But his death was so much more than that, as we know the rest of the story, that he actually, in his death, was able to make atonement for the sins of the entire world, and the relationship that was breached between God and man was healed in what Jesus did. This is not something that Peter could even touch even if he tried. It's ironic. But what's further ironic than that is he did this for people like Peter who didn't trust, who got confused, 
You know, see, Peter is wanting to push Jesus' plan away because he doesn't think he's competent. And Jesus says, I know you're incompetent, and I'm going to do this for you. Don't let your hearts be troubled. So Jesus does for Peter, a sinner, way more than Peter could even possibly imagine of doing for himself. What else? We come to Thomas. Thomas wants a map, and Jesus says, I'm not going to give you a map. Because even if I explain to you where I'm going and what I'm about to do, you're not going to understand. You can't understand all the mysteries of the Godhead that they have to themselves. But what I am going to give you is me. He says, I am the way and the true and the life. What you get is me, a person. And that might be a little bit confusing why Jesus would say this, but we, Eugene Peterson says it really well, that when we use the word way, we use it in more than one way. And no pun intended, of course. We tend to think it as a way like a road, often. That this is the way you're going to go, or a set of instructions, or something to follow. But a way is also the means to which you get somewhere. It's a way of traveling. And so what, Peter, what Jesus is saying to Peter here, or what to Thomas here, is Thomas says, I want to know where you're going. And Jesus comes and he says, I'm the way. You're going to get there because I'm going to carry you. That's what's going to happen. Far more than Thomas had bargained for. And this is one of the classic exclusive passages that we have in the Bible. And Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, which is said so no other religion or idea or ideology would get us there. But it's exclusive in this way. It's like if we're standing on a beach and looking at the ocean and trying to get to Europe. The only way you're going to get there is if a vessel carries you. Like you can't swim. It's exclusive in that way. It's because you can try any other way, but no other way is going to get there. Get you there. But what Jesus does is he comes and says, you're going to get there even when you don't know. Because I'm going to carry you. And lastly with Philip. Philip wants an experience. He thinks his experience will be powerful enough to carry him along. But God says no to that. Jesus says no to that too in the way. He says to him, have, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? See, he didn't come in the way that Philip wanted, but Jesus, that God himself in this mysterious Trinitarian way, had been walking and talking with Philip this whole time. He was interacting with him. He was doing works with him. He was right there with him. That God himself came to dwell with people. And if we were to read this section further, that we get to the verses where Jesus is saying that it's actually better that I go, because when I go, I'm going to send the Comforter. That God himself would not just walk and talk with us. That he would come and he would dwell inside of us all the time. No experience needed. It's not going to be that fervor that is going to carry you, but that God would so unite us to him that he would carry us. That's how we're going to get there. And you see what happens here. All this inside, inside, inside. As Jesus, as the Father says, Jesus says, you know, I am in the Father and the Father is in me, and we are united to Christ, and His Spirit dwells in us, that there is this Trinitarian fellowship and love that was once set apart, that now we are brought up and are right in the middle of and participate in. This is what Jesus came to do when He came 
um, as a man. He came to unite us to himself and so that we would be in the middle of that love that the Father shares with him. So as I said, I want you to notice, I, I think he gives the answer the same time, this exact same answer every single time. He says, you want influence and you want more knowledge and you want more experiences so that you feel safe. I'm not going to give you any of those because what I'm going to give you every single time is me. Do you notice that the way, the truth, and the life here, it reveals stuff? Like Jesus is the revelation of the way to the Father, the bridge with people to the Father. He's the truth. He reveals the Father's plan from all time. And he's the life. He brings a life of his resurrection. But don't miss the I am part of that saying. These are not just attributes that he gives. These are things that he has in himself that he brings. And as you belong to him, these things belong to you. And this is the point. What does it matter in the end that Jesus gives us a person and he doesn't necessarily give us the thing that we need to trust God's plan? What difference does that make? And I think the difference is this. And it is the simplest thing in the world. When life is confusing and it makes no sense and it seems dark, it seems chaotic and we're angry and we're sad and we're grieving, all these things. What God gives us is a person, a personal relationship to come and say that even in the middle of all this, I am 100% and completely devoted and in love with you. As all of this inside stuff going on, as we are brought into this Trinitarian love, that in the middle of all of that, there is tremendous space, I think, for things to be confusing and things to be upsetting and things to be angry and things to be a mess because life is a mess. It's always a mess. It never makes sense. The gospel is not a formula that we can try to take this messy life and plug it into and all of a sudden know exactly how we should respond, what we should do, whatever. The gospel is about a person that came to us. That no matter where you are, no matter how you feel this Advent season, no matter what you're going through, maybe the Advent is more about the longing and the grieving and the not having a tangible thing, person here with us, you know, side of it for you than it is the celebration side. Even if that's the case, the promise here is that Jesus was sent so that he could be with you. He is with you right in the middle of that. And above all that, he loves you. He wants to be with you. He loves to commune with you. That's why he came. Things can be a mess. Because it's just like if we return to the metaphor we had in the beginning, that we don't know where we're going. I want you to picture yourself, you're like a kid, and it's dark and stormy, driving through the mountains in the car, and you're lost. The only thing you need to know is that your dad is there driving that car. You don't need to know where you're going. That's all you need. And that is the promise that when we, the little baby we were given is Jesus Christ, this Advent season, what is given to us. Let's pray. Dear Father, these are big, big, big and confusing truths that 
are bigger than our little minds can handle. And they often don't sink in the way that they should. But I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that in the middle of all we go through, that you pursue us. And that you came to us even when we don't pursue you. Father, I pray that you would give us faith. You would help us to believe in the promises. And that in all these ways that we try to run our lives our own way, that you would free our hearts from those things, that we might know the love that you have for us all the more. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.